Hey everybody and welcome back to the cast. It's Sam here. Today and for the next couple weeks, we have a very special conversation to share with you. If you've been listening for a while, you know that Mike and I tend to talk about Roman Catholicism on a regular basis, mostly lovingly, sometimes lovingly poking fun. But personally, I think it's a denomination that is far too misunderstood by Protestants, which is crazy considering it is the largest denomination in Christianity. Obviously, it goes without saying that we have our disagreements, but I think that what unites us far outweighs that which divides us. So we've invited a guest on this program who is Roman Catholic to share his perspective on some of those issues that seem to separate Catholics from Protestants in hopes that maybe if we just take the time to listen, we'll actually feel a little bit more united. That being said, C3KW is not a Roman Catholic church, and as you know, the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the individuals expressing them, and may not necessarily represent the views of our church. Please listen with an open mind, and enjoy. Mike, we're back for another week of the cast, and uh, today we get to do something that we have never done before. Well, we've sort of done it. I guess we did it one time where you were at the church conference and I called you remotely, but today we actually have a guest on who uh, is remote. Um, He's all the way in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, at McGill University, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we've talked about having him on for a while, and I'm really excited for him to share his perspective with us today. And that is, of course, my good friend, Andrew Zettel. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Hey, Mike. Thank you for having me on. I'm, uh, yeah, honored to be here all the way from La Belle Province, Quebec, Canada. Oh, yeah. Andrew is extremely bilingual. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, (laughs) glad to have you. (laughs) I'm an extreme bilingualist. (laughs) He pronounces poutine as poutine. And everyone Putin, gives him yeah. <laughs> everyone gives him grief for it but i guess that is how it's pronounced <laughs> yeah authentic authentic that's what we tr- that's what we aim for <laughs> andrew and i go uh we go way back by way back i mean um university so 20 2013 i think was the year we met it's funny because we were both from the same small town technically we both have mild may addresses back home but we never knew each other because i went to the public high school and andrew went to the catholic high school because andrew is a catholic isn't that right that's right yeah and it was kind of uh funny in a way because we hadn't met each other at all growing up um and then at a Catholic university, St. Right. Jerome's, uh, at the University of Waterloo, we, we met up. Yeah, and I think we, we didn't, it took us a little bit to, to really hit it off, I think, but uh, we ended up living together in second year and uh, just becoming really good friends that way. Um, I've mentioned before, Andrew was, was kind of like, really my only like close Christian friend, I guess, at that point in my life, I would say. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a strong... Uh, there's a very special place for you in my heart, Andrew. Oh, I appreciate that. And of course, like getting to meet uh, your family, especially 
your father and then your your grandfather as well, the good Pastor Don. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've came to appreciate a little bit of your your Christianity and your upbringing, and then I've been able to also visit uh, visit your church as well and, and see what you're doing there. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm just glad to come on the show here, which I have listened to as well, many episodes. Um, have you listened cast. to any of the recent ones, Andrew? Because we, we've been talking actually a lot about Catholicism recently, which is oh, kind really? of... Oh, really? I should have was... been listening to the last few. Oh, that's fine. We, we've been, just been kind of setting the table for this conversation, which I've been wanting to have for a while. Um, before we get into that, though, um, you have attended our church before, and it's funny because it was actually your cousin that uh, used to go to Mike's old church and kind of told the two of us to go check it out that one time. And um, that's how I ended up knowing who Mike was. And then I th- you did mention um, you were back when we were still Risen City as well. You haven't checked it as you haven't checked us out since we've been C three though. No, yeah. Since you made the change to C three, I haven't been back in Ontario. Too yeah, I was gonna much, say it's only been but... three months. <laughs> yeah, it's only been three months. Four months. Three months. Four months. Okay, at least. Okay, I don't know. yeah, yeah. I've been I've been here in Montreal about ten months. I moved here in January, but I think. In October, November, I had been to Risen City uh, for the service there. I think you were playing bass guitar uh, that day, Sam. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely you guys have quite a, a youthful energy at the services there. So I was I was definitely struck by that right away. Good to hear. Good to there hear. There you go. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Andrew, let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the church that you're accustomed to. Actually, unless Mike, you want to say something. No, I was just saying, you know, this is a big day for Sam. He tends to have a a uh, a deep affection for the <laughs> for the Catholics. I do, I do. That's why it's always coming up. So, Andrew, you you did mention being really struck by the youthful energy of C three. Um, I'm really curious, and I mean, I kind of know this story, but I just if you could share with our listeners sort of your church background, um, what that was like for you growing up, um, kind of what your family life was like in relation to uh, going to church and being a Christian. Yeah, well, I guess kind of why I had mentioned that is, um, you know, I grew up. Catholic. I am a, a Roman Catholic, and, and most of my family, like all of my immediate family and a lot of my extended family, are, are Catholic. We grew up in, uh, in Bruce County, Ontario, in what I would call more of the evangelical or charismatic kind of side of Catholicism. Sure, certainly, we're from a small town, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, guitars and drums and that kind of thing at Mass were were quite common, and um, my my cousin, for instance, is the youth minister at uh, at our home church in Hanover, Ontario, Holy Family Parish, and so we had a youth group and a youth band, and that's I got involved at in high school with that, and pretty soon I was leading choirs and playing music. I play piano and sing, and so I was playing for wedding ceremonies in the church, um, and. I would say that, you know, growing up, I had a fairly supportive family in terms of, you know, regular prayer and in terms of our weekly, uh, you know, attendance at church. Um, and, and so that, that's sort of the, the baseline of where I come from, a, a fairly traditional home, um, but definitely with an appreciation of the more evangelical side of, of Christianity. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really great place to actually ask about um, your brother because one of your brothers, uh, Chris, I believe, mm-hmm. is in the priesthood right now or in in seminary right now to become a priest, and the 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 order that he's in is a bit more of that charismatic um, side of Catholicism. So can you tell us like a little bit about that? What are some of the distinctives of a more charismatic Catholicism? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so my brother Chris is a, a seminarian, so he's in formation to be a Catholic priest. And uh, he's with a, a community called the Companions of the Cross. Technically speaking, it's just a little bit of legal jargon, but they're not technically in order, but um, they're, the Vatican refers to them as a society of apostolic life. <laughs> so mm. that basically means a, a collection of, you know, like-minded priests with a constitution for their community. Um, and, you know, in broad strokes, what they're committed to is a, is a very orthodox faith in terms of in teaching and, and in terms of their, you know, connection to the the Roman Catholic Church, um, but their expression of the faith, I I would say, definitely as a as an outsider looking in, uh, they're very attuned to the Holy Spirit, almost in a way you might compare to the Pentecostal Church, you know. Mm-hmm. So their their worship is very uh, heartfelt, very again contemporary music combined with some traditional music for sure. So they sing a hill song there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the, the latest and greatest in the contemporary band. Like my brother plays guitars and drums and, you know, he's a very talented singer as well. So they have worship bands that, that will play. Um, you know, you'll see, you'll see people at the charismatic prayer services with their hands in the air, eyes closed the whole bit, um, <laughs> as well as that openness to the movement of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, it's, it wouldn't be uncommon at a charismatic Catholic prayer service to hear uh, people praying in tongues or getting a prophetic word to share with the community or even healings. My brother's been been privy to some pretty miraculous healings that have happened um, over the last few years. His, you know, seminary for a, a priest is, is a fairly lengthy process, um, yeah. similar to like a, a graduate degree process. So, so it, it takes a bit of time. He's, he's right now in a in a internship year in Ottawa, where he's assisting a priest in a in a parish in a church, cool. Cool. Um, but his main studies happen in in downtown Detroit. So oh, wow. he's right Detroit. there in kind of a, a a mission field space in largely African American communities, and and their spirituality, I think, from what I hear, really. Uh, is alive there, very heartfelt, very Holy Spirit-driven worship in that community. Wow. That's cool, yeah, it's awesome. I like it, sounds good to me. Yeah, Mike's, Mike's all about that stuff. He grew up Pentecostal, so um, this is, this is. I was actually pretty surprised just to even to hear the way you described it. I kind of... Pretty, yeah, pretty charismatic, pretty accurate. Yeah, I had a pretty <laughs> mild view of what that would look like, you know, maybe with some of the more contemporary worship. Um, I bet you were appalled at Hillsong, though, Sam. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Appalled. Well, I know, I, Sam. You had mentioned earlier we might be talking about our our views on on Hillsong and other other contemporary worship, you know, a little later. But you know, it's like they they have a rally that they're doing in in, um, in Detroit regularly called "Become the Fire," you know. So it's very much in that in that. Um, 
that view of, of, of being in tune with the Holy Spirit. You know, from my perspective, like I'm, I'm very much kind of a, uh, I, I used to joke I'm a garden variety Catholic, you know, I have a bit of an experience of different types of Catholicism. Of course, there are 1.2 billion Catholics in the world, so we don't all think and worship exactly alike. Yeah. Um, what? Wait a second. What's Are that? You, I'm, I'm just kidding. Nothing. I was just joking. Yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not all just uh, Roman robots, so to speak. <laughs> um, but having that kind of experience of of contemporary and charismatic praise and worship, um, I think is is healthy and and certainly great to have in the church. To then kind of couple in some ways with our our traditional. Uh, heritage, if you will, and, and definitely our life as sacramental people, which I'm sure we'll, wow. we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, you're really speaking my language there, Andrew. Really love. <laughs> I, 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 so in some ways, I feel like we're aspiring to be the Protestant version of that, but maybe, but from a different, coming from a different direction a little bit. So that's actually where I have to ask, does the charismatic, do charismatic Catholics get pushed back from more, I don't know, trad Catholics, I guess I'll say, or, um, you know what I'm saying? Um, sure. Yeah. Sometimes I, you know, affectionately refer to them as rad trads, the radical traditionalists, um, <laughs> you know, and to be honest, like I'm, I'm a young Catholic and I find that young committed Catholics, um, also come in different shapes and sizes. And there's certainly a growing movement of, of young committed Catholics. Some of them close friends of mine who are who are very traditional and, and almost in a bit of a hipster way, if you will, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so, yeah. so is Latin Mass is going to Latin Mass like the hipster Catholic oh, thing to do? Oh, for sure, you know. And and we have kind of the we have a rich history of what we sometimes call, you know, the smells and bells, right? The incense <laughs> and organ music and Latin chant, and uh, so definitely, I have a great appreciation, a great love for some of the the traditional aspects of Catholicism. You, you can't help but be struck by it here in Montreal, for instance, where you have some of the most beautiful cathedrals and churches in the world and seeing the sculptures and paintings and, and different things that have been uh, put up and, and erected to the glory of God, you can't help but be put into a prayerful mindset and, and into a prayerful um, a spirit of prayer, a spirit of contemplation in some ways. Yeah. So I think like that's where a lot of younger, really, really devout Catholics are being drawn in one sense to the, the historical side of Catholicism. Yeah, I would certainly say like my, the reason I do like going to mass when I can, um, especially if, if I'm going with you, Andrew, is uh, I am drawn to that in a way as well, kind of that, that holy reverence and just that, yeah, very historical feel of, of what it's like to attend some of those more traditional style services, enter some of those traditional style spaces. And I know they're aesthetic things and it, it's, it's style, but uh, it does put me in that, yeah, kind of more contemplative place. What do you think is uh, the... Um, how do I say, what do you think like the, the draw is back to that for those younger Catholics? Is it, is it kind of, you know, a, 
a spiritual almost haven away from the distraction of life in the modern crazy tech world? Is it just more of an appreciation for the story of faith? Um, a little bit of both. Is it more, you know, trying to create those, that sense of awe and like a real spiritual moment beyond, you know, just the ups and downs of, of a normal life? Like, what do you think yeah. is drawing Catholics back to that? That's, in a, your that's a really great question. I, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a few things there. I mean, when we, when we look at the word sacred, for instance, you know, it, it means set apart, right? And, and so you touched on it a little bit there with the idea of, of setting something apart from the rest of the world, um, having, having a bit of mystery, a bit of mysticism in our expression of faith can be just deeply refreshing for people. Mm-hmm. Um, it can really kind of help us to break into something that's transcendent, something that's eternal. Um, certainly, I think that the more cynical among among traditional Catholics would would point to the charismatic expression of the faith as being largely guided by emotion, you know, um, and you know potentially not by the the rigor of routine and ritual and that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, I would say that when we talk about being sacramental people as Catholics, the Eucharist or or communion, you know, the, the sacrament of, of the Eucharist is, the Second Vatican Council called it, the, the source and summit of our faith. So the Mass, which is the celebration of the Eucharist, is, is central to our faith. And I think a lot of Catholics are, young Catholics are looking to restore the beauty and the, that sense of wonder in the source and summit of our faith, in our in our reception of Jesus in the Mass, um, so I think I think that's what a lot of people would say. And it, it's you know it's sometimes those things that just signal whether it's the the smell of the incense of the church, whether it's the beauty of the music that leads us our senses towards something very special. And then that Eucharistic moment of receiving Christ is is ultimately the goal, is ultimately why we're there. But everything else sort of helps lead us into that space. Yeah, I've always, like, um, the more I've dug into liturgical theologies, like, for me, I used to think of church or different styles of church as being, oh, it's just a different style. Like, the there's no, the order of service is just how they do it there at that church. But the order of service for, for like, a Catholic Mass like you said, is ordered towards getting to the Eucharist. Like that's the, it culminates in, in receiving the Eucharist. Whereas I think for um, maybe the distinction there for us as uh, an evangelical church is it's, it's building up towards the word of God. Would you say that that's true, Mike, that that's kind of what the church is building towards or the service I'd say. Yeah, I think that would be an appropriate observation. I don't, I don't think, I, I feel like theologically some Protestants would be like, no, it's all about that, like all about the, the communion. Because I know a lot of, a lot of uh, Protestants will still take communion every week in a much um, lesser formal way. Uh, but 
Yeah, I, I would definitely say that to the the observable liturgy, because I would say like, yeah, most Protestants will say, we don't have liturgy. You do. You have an order of service. You do it every week. Everyone knows the parts. You have a liturgy, like just own it, right? But most of them would deny that like, it's all about the word, but it is. Like it, just from the setup of it, like if you go to, like even the Catholic weddings I've been at that take uh, the Eucharist, everything is set up around the table. Right, yeah. where in in the most Protestant churches, everything is set up around the stage. Yes, right. So the like the, the the visual liturgy, if you can call it that, the visual um, presentation is, you know, is about the presentation of the gospel um, through various means. And plus, you know, for us, because our sacraments are only two, baptism and, and and communion. Yeah, there's usually some kind of element pointing to those two things, be it the baptismal tank mm-hmm. or um, the communion table, but I would say that definitely visually most Protestant churches are centered around the pulpit, right? Yeah. The, the preaching. Yes. So Andrew, like, what do you, what do you make of the, the place of, you know, the word and preaching in the mass? Because like we kind of said here, like it, it's building up towards um, the re- receiving of Jesus, as you put it. Um, but now it's like, how, how would like a homily, what's the place of the homily in that, in that kind of uh, order yeah, of service. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it was a uh, it was kind of a little running inner joke that sometimes Catholic priests aren't the best preachers, but <laughs> I've noticed <laughs> that, that uh, that's been changing a little bit the last little while. I mean, you have to back up a little bit in some ways. There's um, Dr. Scott Hahn does some great, has done some great work on this. He's a, he's a convert or a revert from... Uh, Protestantism to uh, Catholicism, and you know he he kind of dissects the mass. The mass is, in large measure, modeled after the Book of Revelation. It's scriptural in a lot of that in a lot of those ways, um, and so the first half of the mass or so is really centered around the Word. Um, so we have the introductory rites, but then every Catholic mass has a reading from the Old Testament. And a psalm response. It's usually sung, you know, and it's a it's kind of a call and response between the between the cantor and the people singing mm-hmm. the psalm, uh, and then a reading from the New Testament, typically one of uh, Paul's epistles, and and then a reading from the gospel, either done by the the pastor or or the deacon, um, and so. There's a lot of scripture right, right there. I mean, you have you have a selection from from kind of all different areas of the Bible, and then there's a, a homily or a sermon given to kind of unpack the the readings and to kind of lead us then into the Eucharist. So that's all kind of that first part, which is centered around the Word, uh, and then. The second part, we turn to, yes, the altar, the table, which a lot of the imagery comes from Revelation, from what, you know, the, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. And we hear a lot of the prayers that come out at that point. You hear, you know, um, holy, 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 you know, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, you know. Uh, and you realize there's a lot of scripture then woven into the ritual of the mass. Um, mm-hmm. And then that, you know, that final moment, which is, well, not final moment, but the, the, the summit moment, 
which is obviously taken from the Last Supper, in which the priest says, this is my body, this is my blood, and we, we call it a, a, a representation. We're not, you know, we're not redoing the sacrifice of, of Christ. <laughs> there's only one sacrifice, but it is an yeah. eternal sacrifice. And so there's a representation um, of it in that moment. And that's very clearly drawn from, from the Last Supper. And then, and then we receive Jesus. Right. Um, so I am, I am interested in just, yeah, just talking about um, receiving Jesus and Jesus being like in the bread. So I know that I've gone with you before to uh, Eucharistic adoration. Like um, it does seem like it, the, the bread has a life beyond just um, taking communion in the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it, it's kind of interesting. Obviously, I, I, I never like to too, too much set up <laughs> age-old Protestant Catholic, uh, you know, theological argumentation. But, I mean, we're literalists in this sense. <laughs> yeah. Christ very much said, this is my body and this is my blood. And you know, prior to that, in the Bread of Life discourse, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life within you. And when he said that in particular, you know, it was prior to him entering Jerusalem, um, they, were, they were astounded. The people left him. <laughs> you know, this this yeah. man speaks harshly. Who can listen to him will no longer follow him. Uh, and it's at that point where where Christ turned to the disciples, knowing he had said something really controversial. And he says, will you also leave me? And, and Peter, being the astute but sometimes wayward disciple, says, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of everlasting life, saying, basically, we know this sounds odd, but we're going to follow you and we're going to figure it out. So... That's where, you know, obviously we, we know that the, the bread and wine are not changing physically into flesh and bone and, and blood. There's, you know, there have been Eucharistic miracles over the, year, but that's another, over the years, but that's another topic for discussion. But, but ontologically, the essence of what it is, is becoming the body of Christ. So our reception, our communion means that we become what we eat. We become the body of Christ because we are actually eating the body of Christ. Um, so that's, that's been certainly, that was certainly the position and the belief of the early Christians in the first couple centuries. And it, we just think that it's very much rooted in scripture as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, um, so we won't necessarily like rehash the whole Protestant uh, Catholic debate on that. I don't know that um, anyone's going to convince each other tonight of, of one party being wrong. But I'm, I thank Is you. Is that the goal, Sam? That's not the goal. We're, we're here to have dialogue and to understand each other better. That's that's the whole point of this. For sure. Um, yeah, we'll certainly yeah, so, pray on so, it. Uh, you know, afterwards. And... <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah. Um, thanks. So thanks for explaining that. First off, I think this is where we do actually have to examine maybe some of the the places where we might feel divided from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes um, as Catholics and Protestants. Um, you know, obviously we are not, um, we don't see each other maybe as the same. I try to see everyone that, you know, 
confesses the creeds, the basic orthodox beliefs of our faith as brothers and sisters, but obviously it's not always that simple. For example, if I were to attend a Catholic church, um, being not um, a part of that church through, I haven't uh, done the the sacraments or the rites of initiation. Um, what am I, what's the correct terminology there? Well, yeah, we are, you know, we're, we're sacramental people. And so we have, we have seven sacraments. Um, that being said, you know, it's, it's a little bit more complex than that because as you know, there are over 30,000 Christian denominations. Um, and so, it depends. There are certain Christian denominations with with whom we 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 share a little bit more. Like there's a little bit more movement, for instance, between the High Anglican tradition and and Catholicism. Uh, definitely the Orthodox uh, Catholic faiths as well. Um, so yeah, baptize. I, I don't I don't exactly know. Like if you're d- talking about coming to, for, to receive communion, well. Yeah. That's where I was kind of going with that. Like, so, so who is, you know, in communion with the Catholic church, who would be sort of considered, um, you know, worthy of taking communion, I guess. Because for us, it's kind of like baptizing, you know, committed Catholics who have received communion. And as well, we also have that uh, added requirement of being in a state of grace to receive our Lord. Mm -hmm. um, Blood, soul and divinity. And so, um, that's why often one of our other sacraments, the sacrament of reconciliation, of confession, um, which I know is <laughs> a bit of a foreign concept as well for, for other uh, Christian denominations, but that's also yeah. typically encouraged and part of the preparation for the reception of communion. Yeah, so what do you make of um, you know, someone who were to go to a Catholic church and take communion, but they're not part of that church. Like, would you say, we talked about this in church a couple of weeks ago, but, but, um, or when we were doing communion, but taking it unworthy and becoming sick or dead because of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know me, I'm a, I'm a Catholic, so I can't quote scripture with much precision. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you can quote the Pope. <laughs> Just kidding. Just, just um, no, we. I I mean that, of course, to say that because the scripture is woven into the mass, we're we're quite familiar with the content. We're just never quite so good with chapter and verse. Um, but Saint Paul, of course, says says that right the, un, yeah, the unworthy yeah, reception, um, and of course. What, you know, understanding in the context of what we're talking about with the source and summit of our faith, of the actual reception of Christ in a very real way, um, you know, the church really wants the, the communicants you know, to, to, be, to have that worthy reception, to be as ready and prepared for that. Um, not to be holding on to, you know, grave sins. Not to be holding on to uh, things that, things that would would draw them back from that love of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it is it is a very sacred it's a very and it's something that you know even within the church there's there's a bit of debate and there's around who's worthy to receive communion a little bit um from leaders sometimes and and what reverence we put in that moment of communion certainly in the older church you would see a lot of really great expressions of faith in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist you know people receiving communion on their knees you know just just in in awe of the moment um, in which they're receiving Christ um, so it's it's not perhaps an easy answer because there's no way we can just peer into everyone's conscience but uh, but I would say that you know a visiting a visiting Christian brother or sister is, is welcome to come and ex- explore Catholicism and, and become part of the liturgy, but you know, would be encouraged to examine whether they're committed to what we're actually believing, you know, whether they're committed to Christ's real presence in the Eucharist. Yeah, I've always found that interesting because um, it's like even... Yeah, it's like, what am I saying about this thing that I'm taking when I'm taking it? And I think that's something even us Protestants have to, you know, wrestle with when we take communion. Well, that's why, like, in a very kind of similar way, different, obviously, but like if, Sam, you know, if if we do communion at our church um, during, like, public worship, because we do it twice. So we do it during our team rally for our team. And then we do it once a month um, officially for like the whole congregation, regardless of their commitment to the church, we'll say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I'll make it very plain, uh, probably in a very similar way now that you're talking about it, where I try to make it known that this is for us a declaration of a truth statement that Jesus took on flesh and he died for us. And that if you don't believe in that, like don't take it. Mm-hmm. Um, which mm-hmm. is often not said in Protestant churches. It's more just like, hey, if you're a Christian, come and, and do this. And yeah. people just kind of do it out of habit. Um, but kind of for that very reason, that trying to take the seriousness of, hey, we actually believe this is um, a, a holy declaration. Obviously for us being more that you know, consubstantiation, symbolic communion, not necessarily a reception in the way that you're describing, but still recognizing the the actual sacramentality of this that there's something sacred in the moment that i don't want to even as a pastor i don't want to cause someone to lie to take it in falsehood and mm-hmm. and so we actually try to do that at our church to yeah. create that that separation a little bit not awkwardly but be like hey if this is not your thing like please actually i'll actually say like please don't take it uh to kind of protect that a little bit, because I do think it's important. It is one of those things that, that we do have. Right. And, and you will hear, you'll hear um, Catholic priests, you know, becoming a little bit uh, more mindful of this in, in their communication. I mean, certainly around weddings and funerals, right, where you have visitors, relatives from different denominations. And often, you know, people are very much invited to, to approach with the rest of the congregation and to receive a blessing and to be in a way part of certainly part of the the celebration but you know it's that that moment is is very much a, a declaration of faith in the presence of christ right there 
Um, and so it's, it's tied in with those scriptural passages for sure, but it's very much, okay, this is my belief. I'm, it's all here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that actually makes me feel less maybe, I don't know, bad about it. I always feel like I'm just so divided from Catholics on this one thing that I can't go to their church and, and take communion. But I guess it's true that I'm not affirming the same thing you're affirming when I go and do that. Yeah. Yeah, I often say we need to get better as Catholics at some of the other um, activities in our in our church because, you know, I, I don't, to me personally, I don't see the Catholic Mass and Protestant services as being entirely comparable. And, and what I mean by that is that, in a way, the Catholic Mass is sort of designed for Catholics. Um, Mm -hmm. That sounds certainly exclusive. Um, I suppose it is, but uh, definitely the other sorts of comparable activities of, of community building and and outreach and music and worship and examination of the word, which some parishes are getting quite good at, you know, (laughs) um, to be fair, but those, those can also happen. um, And the mass can be the sacrament that it is. And I think that, whether there's traditional Catholics, charismatic Catholics, they would tend to agree with that, that there's something about that. You know, we have many sacraments, sacrament of, of, um, of the Eucharist, of course, being the source and summit, but reconciliation, confession, uh, sacrament of marriage, holy orders, the anointing of the sick, um, and so, and, and baptism, of course, and confirmation as well. So, you know, these are all ways in which we receive the grace of God into our, into our hearts and into our souls. And, um, and so to treat them with that appropriate reverence and to be committed to them in that way is, is super important for us. Yeah, no, I can, and I, I think I can appreciate that in a sense of recognizing that mass is for Catholics. Like that's just the way you said, it, I think is just right. Like it's designed, it's not really designed for someone who's not kind of already committed to take part in it, mm-hmm. right? Um, which I've thought about even for us. Like we, we talked about, I don't know if you remember Sam way back, talking about only ever doing communion at, at All In and team nights. So it's only those of us that we know are like, I'm, do you remember us yeah, having that I, conversation? Yeah, you did, you did bring that up, um, yeah. And it was kind of that that that, that vein. Like we've obviously not done that, but recognizing, yeah, the uh, the uniqueness of that kind of moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it is cool. Like obviously for us, we would call some of those other things that, that Andrew said disciplines, right? Confession for us isn't a sacrament; it's a discipline, right? A faith, and um, you know, praying for healing is just what we do. <laughs> it's kind of what we do, but uh, uh, but yeah. So so that's why I think probably some of the, even the I think the heart behind most of what we do ultimately, like you talked about the the receiving of the grace, like we would call it um, sometimes like the that the disciplines are the disciplines of grace. That's a way that we, it's received the right word that I want to say, the way that we experience more of the grace of God, which really probably is the same thing, different language. Yeah. Uh, because we would say that, and maybe this is where we differ on some of our soteriology, but that the the saving grace and the sustaining grace, or the power of God to perform in my life the work of the kingdom is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing saving grace. We would say is one-time thing. We're saved. We're in, but the sustaining, the growth of grace, um, 
we would find it, you know, we talk about a lot at our church in the disciplines, in doing those things that Christ did mm-hmm. to receive more of that. Cause, cause we don't, I, I think we try to be better at defining grace than maybe some places would be in the sense of it's the, the work of God to do in my life, which I could never do for myself. Yeah. And, and that is an ongoing thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.